Holy Father, thank you for gathering us here together. It is, it is my belief and conviction, I believe the Bible teaches, that there, there are not mistakes, there are not accidents, uh, there, are not, there are not random coincidences, but when something happens, it happens because you are sovereign and because you will it to happen. Which means that all of us, anyone right now who can hear my voice is hearing my voice because it's, you desire us to hear these things. And it's nothing to do with my voice or my wisdom. I know that. But your word is living and active. It's not a regular book. It's not a book of positive sayings or guidelines. It's, it's holy scripture. It's your word, and it's powerful. And so I pray that you would be pleased to speak to us this morning through your word and by your spirit. And I pray specifically if there's anyone here this morning who's feeling discouraged about their life, about their circumstances, about their walk with you, about their discipleship. I pray for a word of encouragement, a word of empowerment, a word of strengthening, a word of hope to anyone in that situation. In your name, amen. Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. This is Paul speaking. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if, uh, I don't know where you were, if, if you were able to participate in our service last week, and if so, where you were seated and what you could see, but there was a, there was a metaphor for this passage that unfolded right before our eyes last week, at least from where I was standing. Uh, there, was a, there was a brave young man who was trying to make his way to the steps for the children's message. And he was taking, I don't know if you could see it, but he was, he was taking steps like this. <laughs> Just being brave, trying to get there, headed in the right direction, going very slow, but going very purposefully. And uh, every single tiny step was taking him towards his destination. And then he lost heart. <laughs> and he turned around and took large steps backwards, away from his destination. In fact, he took some steps towards his dad, who was seated right there. <laughs> and I was watching this happen and making little jokes as it happened. And in that moment, I thought, oh no, all is lost. <laughs> we lost him. <laughs> but no. He once again took courage. He steeled himself for this. <laughs> he turned around and he began the slow journey towards the steps once again. 
And sure enough, this time, tiny step by tiny step, he made it. And he took a seat here on the steps. Now, at the time, I was, I was joking around, waiting for him, and I, uh, and I, made a, I said, well, what's happening before our eyes? This is a journey. This is, this is a metaphor for the journey of the Christian life. I, I meant it. I think it's true. Uh, by grace, what happens is God grabs a hold of us. God redeems us. God regenerates our hearts. God makes us his children, but then he points us in a direction. Right? And he says, okay, you're mine. I made you. I bought you. I brought you into the family. You're mine now. Now I want you to live a life of faith. I, I, I want you to walk in that direction. I want you to follow that path. I want you to walk in my ways. I want you to live a life of love and joyful obedience to me. After people came to faith in Jesus in the Gospels, remember, remember these words? Go and sin no more. What is that? But Jesus saying, okay, I, I got you. You're mine. I love you. And I want you to walk this path. Go in that direction. Peter, the apostle Peter, when you read his epistles, he, told, he writes this, that we are to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. That's, that's a pretty high standard. The apostle Paul tells us, to put off sin, to put on love, to let Christ rule in our hearts. He tells us, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. The book of Hebrews tells us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, all of those verses give a sense of movement, right? The Christian life as a, as a, as a, as a life of, of movement, of traveling, of moving in a Godward direction. Right? As we live the Christian life, it's a process. God is at work in us, sanctifying us, making us more and more like Jesus. And sometimes we take great strides forward in our walk, and, and that's thrilling. I trust you've had seasons like that. But other times we feel like we're just maybe just shuffling forward like that young man last week. We're moving in the right direction, but we're barely moving. But at least we're moving in the right direction. And other times we feel like, well, no, actually, I'm moving in the wrong direction here. I'm taking steps backward. And that can be so discouraging, right? When you feel like, I've, I've lost ground. I had fought hard to gain that ground, and now I've lost ground, and I've actually moved away from God instead of toward Him. That can be a very, very discouraging feeling. I definitely know what that feels like. Well, our passage this morning is, can help us with that, right? Our passage this morning can help us both not be too discouraged when we do move in the wrong direction, because it does happen sometimes, but it can also be helpful in getting us back to moving in a Godward direction. As I've already mentioned, one of the great frustrations of the Christian life is when our desire to be holy doesn't live up to our actions, right? We want to be holy, right? If you're in Christ, if you're saved, if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, then you want to be holy. You want to do what's right. You want to love others like you love yourself, and yet, sometimes you fall short of that. I know that's true of all Christians. I, it was even true of the Apostle Paul. 
The Apostle Paul struggled with that. Do you remember his words in Romans 7? This is Paul speaking. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. You been there? I, I, I don't even understand myself. I don't know why I do what I do. He, this is what he says. For I do not do what I want, and I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep doing. That's the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. Does that sound at all familiar? Can, can, can you identify with that? So what do you do in a situation like that? Okay, well, the first thing that we need to do is to do what Paul did, which is to preach the gospel to ourselves, right? To remind ourselves that, well, wait a minute. We're not saved by the things that we do or don't do. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And you probably know that Romans 7 and those words I just read is followed by Romans 8 in which Paul follows up those words of despair. feels like despair, right? I hate what I do. I don't do the things I'm supposed to do. He follows that up with these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So that's the first thing we need to do, right? If you have, re if you have repented of your sin and if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're washed in the blood. Your sins are forgiven. We don't save ourselves by our own faithfulness. We are saved through faith in Jesus and what he has done. We can praise God for that. That fact can save us from feelings of condemnation and shame when we fall short, when we take steps in the wrong direction, when we move away from God during our Christian journey. Okay, but what then? Does it not matter if we sin? I mean, if our sins are already forgiven, then who cares, right? Does that give us permission to keep on sinning? No. Sin grieves God. God hates sin, and we should hate it too. And even though we'll never be perfect until we go home to be in the presence of the Lord, we still need to keep fighting the fight of faith while we're here on earth. We still need to keep growing in our godliness, growing in our spiritual maturity. We need to keep taking little steps in a Godward direction. I was just speaking with someone this past week about this, and what I said to this person is, look, if, if I'm the same person today that I was a year ago, then something's wrong. Christians are supposed to grow. We're not supposed to be the same that we were. I'm supposed to look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, smell more like Jesus today than I did a year ago. And if I don't, something's gone wrong. All of us are supposed to be growing and moving in a Godward direction. Now, Paul understood that the Christian life is a battle. Paul understood that even after our sins are forgiven, they still tempt us, they still stick around. Even Paul, right? Did you see that in verse 12? He's, he's not perfect. He knows he's not perfect. He says, not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. We're not perfect. So what does Paul do then? Right? This is, 
This is such a wonderful window, insight into Paul's life and how Paul pursued spiritual maturity. He says, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. But one thing I do, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then he has made you his own. Christ has purchased you with his blood, and now, because of that, you belong to him. So, press on. Keep fighting the fight of faith, just like Paul. Keep growing in godliness and in your knowledge of the Lord. Now, maybe there's a part of our hearts that doesn't like the idea of not belonging to ourselves, but belonging to someone else. I, rem I remember I made this point um, in, the, in the chapel at the, at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission, and right at this point in the sermon, someone called out and said, well, doesn't that make me a slave then? <laughs> right? He didn't like the idea that he, he didn't belong to himself, but he belonged to someone else. If you belong to someone else, if someone else owns you, that makes you a slave. Right? And he was upset about that. Doesn't that make me a slave? Now, I, I, I generally don't argue back when people shout things when I'm preaching. But what I, what I could have said, and if I could have that moment back, maybe I would say, you're right. It does. And we all are. And you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness, but you're a slave to something. And it's good. It's good to belong to Jesus. It's good that we don't belong to ourselves. That's a blessing. Because we belong to Jesus, it means we don't have authority over ourselves, but we are under the authority of someone else. That means we don't get to decide for ourselves what's best for us, but someone else decides what's best for us. Now, that would be a problem if, if that person didn't love us if that person didn't have our best interest in mind, right? There are very, very bad slave owners. But Jesus didn't like that. He owns us, he bought us, and he loves us. He loves us with a perfect love, and he possesses perfect wisdom, and he knows what's best for us. And there's so much comfort in that. That's the point, maybe you're already thinking about this, the first and most famous question in the Heidelberg Catechism, the one that everybody remembers, even though you forget all the other ones, right? What is your only comfort in life and in death? I, I bet you're thinking the words right now. Your only comfort in life and in death is this. I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our comfort, that we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to Jesus. He made us, he bought us, and we belong to him. And so even though we're, we're not perfect and we stumble along the way, we press on to know him better and better. We press on to become more and more like him. That's what Paul is saying here. Okay, so how? How do we press on? How do we fight the fight of faith? Here's what Paul says, verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's one thing. 
but, but he's kind of cheating there. <laughs> That's one thing with three parts. The one thing he does is he forgets what lies behind, he strains forward to what lies ahead, and he keeps his eye on the goal. That's what Paul does. We'll just spend a minute on each of those and then we're done. First, we forget what lies behind. Okay, Paul has chosen to forget what lies behind. Well, what lies behind for Paul? Well, some very good things and some very bad things. On the one hand, Paul tells us that he was blameless concerning the law. That's pretty good. I can see how Paul might be tempted to focus on that and to remind himself of that. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm blameless concerning the law. I'm, I'm righteous. That should at least get me some credit with God. That should at least get me on God's good side. But that's not what he says. He says he looks back at the best things that he does, that he has done, and he says, look, as far as I'm concerned, that's rubbish. And maybe some of us are tempted to think that if we do enough good things, God will forget the bad things that we've done. But that is not how the gospel works. God is not impressed by our good deeds. You cannot earn God's grace. We receive God's grace not by the things that we do, but through faith in the Son of God and things that he has done. On the other hand, Paul had some very bad things in his past. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul dragged men and women out of their homes, threw them in prison, and approved of their execution. Paul was a bad guy. He was a religious terrorist. It would have been very tempting for Paul to spend the rest of his days looking back on that with regret and saying, I'm hopeless. I can't believe I did that. How could God ever use me to build his church? I'm the one that used to tear it down. And so many of us are tempted to think that too, right? I mean, none of us have lived the life of Paul, but maybe you've done some bad things in your past. Maybe you've got some, thin, some sins that you can't forgive yourself, and you just don't think that God could forgive them either. Right here in this verse, this is a verse for you if you feel that way. Paul reminds us that God's grace is greater than our sins. How dare we tell God that the sacrifice of his son wasn't enough to pay for our sins, right? Christ died on the cross, that was pretty good, but not quite good enough to pay for what I did. That's an insult to God's gift. If God says it's finished, then it is. And it does not honor God for us to doubt the power of his forgiveness. If you've got sins in your past, well, repent of them, bring them to the cross, and the Lord will forgive them, and you can press on like Paul does. You don't need to live in the past if your sins are forgiven. All right, so that's the sense in which we forget what lies behind. It doesn't mean we have amnesia. It doesn't mean we literally can't remember what's happened to us, but we don't allow the things of the past, both the good things and the bad things, to distract us from what God is doing in our life today. All right, second, not only does Paul forget what lies behind, but he says he strains forward. It's a strong verb. He strains forward to what lies ahead. He's not looking back. He's pushing forward. Keep growing. Keep pursuing the Lord. Strain forward. Make an effort. It's like an athlete. That's an athletic word. Straining forward. How do you get good at a sport? You practice, you train, 
You devote your time and effort to it, or you won't get good. You do the same drill over and over and over again, even though it's so boring. You take the same shot 500 times a day. You lift weights. You eat right. That's how you become a good athlete. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't just make up your mind, I'm going to be a good athlete now, and then go out and do it. It takes hard work, commitment, sacrifice over a long period of time. And Paul is saying, he's using an athletic word here, and he's saying we need to pursue the Lord like that, straining forward to what lies ahead. Is anything getting in the way of your walk with the Lord and your growth in godliness? Then get rid of it. It's not worth it. Think of someone who wants to run a marathon, right? That's the idea. That's the goal. But they just, they eat donuts every day for breakfast, and they sit on the couch and watch TV for eight hours a day, and then they scratch their head and wonder why they're not making any progress towards the goal. Well, it's obvious. If you're not willing to put forth some effort and make some sacrifices and get off the couch, you're not going to run a marathon. Everyone knows that. Nobody is confused by that. And yet I meet Christians sometimes who are making no effort to pursue the Lord, making no sacrifices, investing no time, are not straining forward in their effort to move in a Godward direction, and yet they're completely confused. Why am I not growing in spiritual maturity? Where is God in all this? Listen, the Bible is our nutrition, right? We, we, we need to eat it every day. Prayer is our power, right? Without it, we will have no spiritual energy. Fellowship with other Christians, that brings comfort and strength and joy. Serving others is like weight training, right? Every time you do it, every time you put someone else's needs in front of your own and serve them like Christ has served us, it makes us stronger. It's training us. And worshiping God, that's the foundation of everything that we do. Without it, there's no hope of moving in a Godward direction. And these things are all blessings, and they're good things, but they do take intentional effort and sacrifice over a consistent and long period of time if we want to see progress in our spiritual maturity. Okay, so that's two things. We forget what lies behind, good and bad, just forget it. We strain forward to what lies ahead. And then the third and last thing, we keep our eyes on the goal. Right? Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So what is the goal? Where are we heading? What's Paul looking at there? The goal, he says, is the prize of our upward call. The goal is the place where we're heading. The goal is heaven where we will be in the presence of Christ the veil will be lifted, we will be removed from the presence of sin, and we will worship him forever. Paul tells us, keep your eyes focused forward there, where you're heading. One day, we're going to cross that river, and we're going to receive glorified resurrection bodies. These bodies will never get sick, they'll never wear out, they'll never sin, and we'll be in the presence of our Lord and Savior forever, no parting, no sad parting. And when that goal is clearly in your sights, then the trials and the concerns of this world begin to seem smaller by comparison. 
right? Like, as a marathon runner, I know this to be true. If you can visualize the finish line, if you can visualize yourself strongly crossing the finish line, it can help you to run in mile 14 and 15 and 16. Knowing that that finish line is coming gives you strength to run with joy during the race. One day Jesus is coming back and he will establish a new heavens and a new earth right here. And the things that have gone wrong, he's going to make right. And he is going to reign forever. And according to the book of Revelation, when he comes back to establish all that, he will come riding a white stallion. He will come with a sword launching out of his mouth. And for those of us who are part of his family, made part of his family by grace through faith, that will be one of the greatest moments of our entire existence. This life is nothing more than a blink of an eye compared with that. Right? By comparison, this life is just a night in an uncomfortable inn. One day we'll be in God's presence. We will experience God's peace forever. Right now we walk by faith and not by sight, but one day we will see. And then at the end of this passage, I love it, Paul never misses a chance to get our attention off ourselves and onto God. Right? It's so easy to become self-focused, even in this about pursuing God. We can get focused on ourselves and our pursuit of God. And so Paul lifts our eyes up lest we be tempted to take credit for our faith or take credit for our spiritual growth. At the end of verse 14, he reminds us that the upward call to heaven is a call that comes from God and is made effective in Christ Jesus. Lest any of us think that by traveling along the path of discipleship and pressing on and straining every muscle, we're somehow climbing our way to heaven. We're not. God's the one who called us. God's the one who will bring us home. And while we're here, we press on and we fight the fight of faith. We do that by forgetting what lies behind, by straining forward to what lies ahead, and by keeping our eyes on the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, I, I'm thankful for this life that you've given us. I'm thankful for the Christian life. I'm thankful for the times that are peaceful and restful and joyful and, and, and easy. <laughs> but I'm thankful for the hard times too. I'm thankful for the effort that you require of us and that it's good. It's good to work hard. It's good to pursue you. It's good to strain forward to what lies ahead. And so I pray for each of us that you would help us to embrace that and to take it seriously and to make it a priority, like Paul said, one thing, one thing I do, one thing. Help us, Lord, help us, when our minds start to spin on the past and things we've done or not done or wish we'd done, help us to forget what lies behind. And help us to strain forward, to pursue you with all of our might because it is a noble and good pursuit. And help us as we pursue you to keep our eyes lifted up 
and on you, remembering that there is a destination, there is a calling that you have called us to, and remembering that you who have called us will see it through to completion and will bring us home. Amen.